Hi, I'm Gerds Hundle, acclaimed health journalist, turned motivational speaker and transformational coach. This show is for anyone who wants to lead a happier, healthier and inspired life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can become a soul warrior. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Inspired with Girls podcast. I'm your host and today I have a self-mastery guest who is an amazing soul helping people to live with happiness. Gary Van Warmerdam is a creator of pathwaytohappiness.com who combines lessons from changing beliefs from negative thoughts to emotions and behaviours and he's the author of Mindworks which is a practical guide to changing our thoughts and emotional reactions. Gary believes we can all lead a happier life from the inside out. Gary, it's an absolute pleasure having you on my show and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chris. Oh, bless you, Gary. Well, it's just been interesting talking to you just before the interview. I'm really interested about what your life was like before you became a coach. Well, I was an engineer. I was actually an officer in the Navy, working mostly in the engineering plant. I had become disillusioned with, uh, you know, how glamorous and, uh, you know, from the commercials. <laughs> it wasn't like that. <laughs> it was a lot of hard work and long days. So I was burned out. And then I, uh, you know, I was in a relationship and the relationship was all beautiful and sprinkled with fairy dust and I was in love. And then it didn't get so nice. Um, uh, it became actually emotionally abusive, I'd say. Wow. And I was getting criticized a lot. Uh, she had anger and I was a recipient of it. And I ended up walking around on eggshells with her and uh, feeling inadequate, insecure, and, and got so low that it was like my self-esteem was such. It was like, well, I, I should be with her because, you know, no one, would el- no one else would want to be with me. Hmm. It's kind of my story had gotten so low like that. Uh, well, that finally took a, a, a breaking point. When, uh, when she would get physically violent. And so I said, okay, I'm not this, I don't know what to do here. It might even be my fault, but I'm not going to stay here in this relationship while I figure it out. And so I left and I, uh, I had been pretty happy in my life up until really that year. Hmm. But it was a kind of a happy go lucky. Uh, it was an unconscious happy. Yeah. Uh, things had just gone along well for me. And so here I'd hit this kind of dark place and I'm like, how did I get here? Mm. Uh, and I didn't know. And I, I was like, I don't want this to happen again. Mm. And so I said, I got to figure out what was in my decision making process that that, that got me into this unhappy career and unhappy relationship. And, and then why I, in the relationship part, why I continue to stay, you know, cause I think we'd get bad and I talk myself into leaving or I'd let her talk me into staying. <clears throat> and so, and how long have you been in that relationship? I was in a relationship about a year. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to get back to being happy, but I needed it to be, you know, something that I could control and not just like by happenstance because I grew up and that's the way I lived. You know, 
because if I wasn't aware, I could lose it again. Mm. Some drama in the world. And so I made a strong commitment. I mean, a really strong commitment. I was like, I'm going to be happy no matter what. I'm going to figure out what's going on in my head and my decision-making process and, and make better choices. And it was, it was a very different kind of commitment because I was committing, I didn't realize at times, to something emotional about myself. What is something emotional in my life? All my other commitments have been to people, had been for career, for success, for education. It's all these normal external status things. But this commitment was, well, no, my internal emotional state, how I want to feel, this is this is now prior, priority over all of those. And because if I could have a great relationship or job, career, success, but inside, if I feel miserable, I won't like any of it. I better figure out the inside part first. Um, so two weeks after that commitment, through a friend who I'd known all through college years before, I got introduced to a gentleman named Miguel Ruiz, who later wrote the same book, The Four Agreements, and other books. And he became my mentor, an amazing spiritual teacher, a practical man, a former medical doctor, uh, who was just who kind of looked at the world and said, well, there's a lot of medical problems, but if we solve all the, solve all the physical things going on with people, people will still be miserable. They're suffering emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so he, through a lot of his spiritual training and background and traditions, said, I think I want to address the emotional suffering of people, the emotional pain that they're in. And so that's what his, his teaching was around in, in a real practical way. So I started to study with him, figured out I could learn a lot from this guy. Which I would tell you a year before, I, I couldn't have. I, I couldn't have accepted. Hmm. I, I think I had such an ego and a self-importance. I thought I knew all the answers, and if people just did it my way, you know, everybody would be fine. Kind of ego. Uh, so somewhere in that year of becoming unhappy, I got some humility and said, you know, I don't have all the answers. I need to learn stuff that I don't know about. And, and so I was ready to, to, to kind of digest down what, what he was sharing. And so I began my journey with Miguel Ruiz trying to figure out uh, and what became a, a realization that I had all these unconscious beliefs, emotional patterns, socialized patterns, self-sabotaging patterns that I had no clue about. They were operating underneath the radar in my own behavior and my own thoughts. And that I began a kind of inward journey and inventory to clean up. Wow. So, you know, you went through this journey and you kind of realized what happened next. So, you know, after you'd met Miguel, what was your next step on your journey? The next step was because my background's engineering. Mm. And I don't know if that's just it or I'm naturally skeptical. My next step was to be a skeptic. (laughs) <laughs> so I went to a talk that Miguel gave and I thought, eh, that's pretty good. Nothing mind blowing happening. I didn't go to some blissful state. I didn't have some great consciousness. I just thought, well, that was good. <laughs> and so a month later he was back in the area and he gave another talk. And so I went again, I was like, well, that was interesting. 
And I probably went to three or four of those. Um, and then I thought, well, you know, I'm kind of getting the information, but that isn't really going to be enough. I think I need to actually do this, which is different than thinking about it or uh, having knowledge about it. And I said, well, gosh, what is this thing that is this process? It was before you had the book. There was no kind of process. But through some friends who were studying with him and and such, I figured, okay, there's, I want to be happier. And emotionally, we kind of have two domains of emotion. We either have emotions that come from fear, or emotions that come from love. And if I if I want to be happier, I need to have more love and less fear. So, okay, I'm going to go do this. I guess this is, I'm going to go figure out what I'm afraid of, what's inside that are fears, that's holding that emotion of fear, that's connected to beliefs of fears. And I'm going to get rid of it. Not knowing how I would get rid of it. I just like, I knew I had to do that. So I committed to the process, not knowing how I would get it done. And so uh, at the time I wasn't working. So I was taking long road trips, seeing national parks, doing a lot of hiking. And so I began to, to make notes. What, what are my fears? What, what are the thoughts in my head that are negative and, and judgmental or fearful or limiting? And, and so I just began to make notes and inventory. It's like, gosh, why is that? And then I began to explore, why is that thought there? And what is that one about? And, huh. and I didn't really have answers, but I just kept making notes. And what I began is a process we call an inventory of, of looking inward and so what are these, what are these beliefs? What are these limiting beliefs? What are these fear-based beliefs? Uh, and so that that began my journey. Things that were inside that I hadn't noticed before. And would you say the the toxic relationship you had, was it something linked to your childhood or was just that something at that time you were going through and that kind of person was mirroring how you were feeling? Uh, I didn't relate it to childhood. Uh at all i think you know got into the relationship and it was great uh and i didn't have drama growing up in my house we weren't very emotional and affectionate you know kind of northern european kind of stoic (laughs) family um but we weren't you know italian loud and expressive either Mm -hmm. uh where all the emotions are on the sleeve in the full range you know we were all pretty pretty calm but uh so I would say in some ways my emotions were, yeah, that's not exactly repressed, but not out of control either. I wasn't driven by them. But anyhow, so in this relationship, it was really loving. It was beautiful. She was great in so many ways. Uh, it was a wonderful connection. And it was really a heart-opening experience. And so in that heart-opening experience, I began to make agreements uh, that because this was due. And it was interesting as, as later in the inventory, I would review these agreements. It was like, I love you and only you. You're the only one that makes me happy. Uh, I can't see my life without you. All of this very loving, romantic stuff. But, you know, when it would get bad, it, I was still living by the agreement, I love her and only her. 
She's the only one that makes me happy. If I were to then think, look, okay, this is so bad. I, I need to leave. Mm. I can't do this anymore. I was still living by that agreement, that energetic momentum of that commitment. You're the only one that makes me happy. So somewhere in my subconscious from the months before, having committed to that and say, oh, if I leave her, I won't be happy because she's the only one that makes me happy. If I want to be happy, I got to stay with her. Mm. Even though we were doing <laughs> high trauma and I was a recipient of criticism and anger. Yeah. But my belief system was saying, no, 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 we need to be her to be happy. Oh, we committed to her. We're committing to all of this. And I didn't realize like, no, I can commit to love somebody, but I don't have to take the abuse. Yeah. That's not what I, that's not what my commitment was to. She was behaving as a different person the first months of relationship, you know, as opposed to a year in. I was like, wow, I'm still committed to the to the person I met, but the person she's being now is not the one I'm committed to. And I didn't know how to that even that existed or how to shift that. So over a number of agreements, you know, and then, you know, I would <laughs> we get get in a disagreement. And she was she was intensely relentless and debating. <laughs> uh, and I was my personality was, well, okay, that you're really upset. That's the way you see it. It was easier for me to acquiesce to her point of view than continue a conflict. Mm. And so whether that's my nature or that's the childhood upbringing or whatever, uh, I was appeasing the other person, but each time I was doing it, I was agreeing that I was wrong, that I made the mistake, that I was inferior, that she was smarter. All these kind of little agreements seeped in the subconscious until I was feeling incredibly inadequate and just acquiescing to her point of view all the time. That's that's really interesting that you said that because in the past, like I've seen like certain people over the years and a lot of the times they define their happiness through their, um, through their partner. Um, it's never that having their own happiness separate. And... Mm-hmm. I feel that like a lot of us don't realize that you can just be happy. <laughs> the partner's there yeah. to be to um it's not we always say the word other half, don't we? When really it's it's not about having an other half because you're already full anyway. It's just having somebody there who understands you more than anything else. I would like to I I'd say I agree with what you say and I would like to think that it was all just that simple in relationships, <laughs> but I think there's Lots of different ways to, and different dynamics that happen as well. Yeah. So I'll agree with that. And there's a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah. I just mean like sometimes like we always say other half and. Um... Yeah. As if, as if we're not a whole person, as if, yeah. you know, under, underlying is that, that implied assumption. I'm not a whole person. Yeah. And that, yeah. Our, ha- and that our happiness relies on just that other person when really actually yeah. we can make ourselves happy and they can make us happy too, but we've got to be happy in, our- in ourselves as well. Yeah. We don't have to do it that way, but I find it's better <laughs> for me. Yeah. 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 Some people can do, do that kind of dependency or – but then you, then you get into these other consequences, fear of leaving, fear of being alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, insecurity, jealousy, my partner's giving too much attention to somewhere else. Uh, we end up becoming, you know, a little bit frantic in ourselves or anxious within ourselves. Yeah. You know, with that beginning structure of agreements. Yeah. You know, potentially, not necessarily, but potentially. 
Mm. Depends what else is going on as far as agreements and how we feel. Absolutely. So, Matthew, you know, you're now a coach. So how are you helping people? I teach them very much the similar process that I did. That's because I, what I know, I found it effective. It works. Uh, I have people look inward. So what are your thoughts and what are your emotions and what are the beliefs connecting those two? And what are your behaviors and what are the underlying beliefs that are driving those, driving those behaviors? And I said, well, if we look at that and become aware of it, then we can change it. If you're, if you're doing it, you're not even knowing you're doing it. You have no <laughs> chance to change it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite of most coaches. A lot of the coaches, mm. at, at, but I use the term coach because it, it's easy. Yeah. There's not really a simple name for, okay, the opposite of coach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Most coaches come along and say, well, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve? Uh, and they kind of paint out their perfect life. And I want my weight to be this, and I want to be this fit, and I want to have this kind of relationship and this kind of income. And they, they imagine their perfect life. Mm. And they say, okay, those are my goals. Okay, And the coach says, okay, well, we're going to do this to achieve all that. And they kind of guide you through and push you through and uh, maybe find what roadblocks are in the way of achieving that. I kind of look at that standard and say your subconscious probably already has that image. Mm. What well, I call an image of perfection. And the voice in your head is one of them, call an inner judge, your inner critic, is saying, oh, you're failing because you're not there yet. Oh, look at you, you're overweight. Oh, look at you, you don't have enough money. Oh, nobody will probably want to go out with you because of this. Or uh, all these kind of negative thoughts because your subconscious already has this standard of what we're supposed to be and says you're not it yet, therefore you're failing. You're not enough, you're not good enough because you aren't this perfect thing yet. And so we get this barrage of negative thoughts because we have this image of perfection. Now it's also what we think will make us happy, but in the meantime, the judge is criticizing us and we feel inadequate, less than, miserable, not good enough because we aren't there yet. And yet we cling to it because we believe it will make us happy. <laughs> so, we, so, so I look at this dynamic and say, well, okay, good to have goals. But if the inner critic in your head is using them to beat you down, yeah. you're getting farther away from them than closer. Yeah. I look at that dynamic and say, let's get rid of the inner critic and the self-judgment that's really going on before we try to get to this imaginary happiness based on something external. Because internally, the self-criticism is going to continue even after you reach your goals. But people, you know, they reach their goals and they're like, I don't feel really happy. And I think, yeah, because you still got your inner critic running. Yeah. Or your inner critic says, yo, but you should have done this by now. And it raises the bar. <laughs> so, so I, I, I said, well, let's, let's get a hold of what's going on inside and let's tame this inner critic. And, and we have a much greater chance at happiness than if we achieve these goals. You can be happy with yourself where you are. You can be happy with yourself on your journey to achieve what you want, you can be satisfied and at peace internally and, and why you're just you know, doing a, a simple thing. Uh, you don't have to wait until you achieve this list of the perfect things and the perfect relationship to be happy. I'm like That's just holding it way out in front of you, like feeling like we'll never get there. When happiness can be right here and now, what you feel right here and now. Mm. So that's why I focus on this internal process and, and not the achievement of external goals. 
absolutely relate with what you're saying um yeah totally um a few years ago I well most of my life I always wanted to be a journalist and I, I actually was in the journalism world a few years ago um and I was always striving for perfection Gary like always had to be at the top had to get to this level always pushing myself but inside like you said I kept getting there but I was never internally happy and it took <laughs> it took a cancer scare me collapsing three times in an office um Work, one time when I was working out in Canada, my left arm stopped working for me to realise that actually I will never be happy with those goals. That is not actually what I want to achieve. All I wanted was peace and happiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're, we're, we're conditioned by you know thousands of experiences of accomplishing something, getting a gold star when we're a kid. We <laughs> you know do draw a picture and mom's like, oh, that's beautiful. That's really great. You did nice. You know, or we get right. Uh, you think a math problem, right? Yeah. Something we do something right. We do something we get praised for. I'm like, oh, let me go be a success. Let me go get things right. Let me go uh, be top of the field. And so this becomes where our mind gets conditioned to go get the reward mm. from, which is praise from other people, recognition from other people, which then allows us to open up our emotional feel good, self acceptance. Yeah. feeling but that self-acceptance feeling and, and love for ourselves doesn't have to be dependent on an opinion of somebody else absolutely and then what happened was whilst that was happening Gary it, it went away from what people thought and then it was like well now I'll buy this handbag this ex- head, um, sorry this expensive handbag or this this top so I'll feel better and so I'd buy that thing and I'd be like what's next because the happiness would go <laughs> So it'd be like two days of happiness having this new bag and then be like, oh, I, I'm sad again. What should I get now? Okay, I'll buy that thing and that thing. But it was never, because it was the internal job. And <laughs> when Gary, I went through the transformation and realised actually I didn't need any of that. And all I needed, like you said, was absolutely what you said before. Like, you know, I needed to just be happy in my own skin and love myself. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> Some people are like, guys, you might think this is absolutely mad. I literally gave all away my expansive handbags, my clothes, because I didn't feel happy at that point. Even though I had that money and was buying those things, that wasn't my happiness. And so I gave everything away. <laughs> and no, then... yeah, emotion, emotion doesn't come from a handbag. Yeah. Emotion doesn't come from a car. So where does emotion come from? Why is mm. it created? Yeah. You know, this, this is kind of like a really like important question. But not one we learn in school like where do our emotions come from Mm. why do we create them why do we not create other ones Mm. um how can we change that yeah and and here's the you know the the essential teaching from my mentor was you know what what is happiness happiness is a feeling of when love is coming out of you Mm. and if it's coming out of you it means it's created inside you yeah how do we how do we create more love and less fear? And sometimes that's just a matter of where we focus our attention. Yeah. Sometimes that's a matter of, oh, what is the fear of expressing love, opening up to someone? It's a vulnerability. If we're vulnerable and we're close, we're loving to someone. Oh, we could get hurt because I had this broken heart when I was sixteen. <laughs> uh, or this really good friend, you know, was ten. They moved away, and you know, you know, it's like. You know, so there's this fear of being vulnerable, which is fear of love. So what are these layers that we've learned in our history Yeah. Uh, that that changed the emotions we create and the ones we don't? 
Yeah. But it, but the emotions are created by by a handbag or a, a job <laughs> title or amount of money you make. Yeah. We can have emotional responses to those things, but those are often conditioned by the t- by the time we're in our twenties. They're just conditioned, and we can change that conditioning. Yeah. I guess as well, because, you know, when we're really young, we're kind of in our own little world, we're creative, and we kind of do whatever we want, we, you know, walk around like, la, 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 don't care about anything. And then we go into the system of the school. And then it's like, you're right, it's all fear based. So then we think we need to get a good job in like, we need to get a good education or to get a good job. So we're always being molded. Um, but we lose mm-hmm. that inner love because it's all about competing, even the games that we play. Um, oh, I've forgotten what it's called now, where you remove the chair. Um, oh, uh, yeah, uh, musical chairs. That's it. Musical chairs. Yeah. yeah. Like that's where we're being molded to compete. Who will get the last chair? Like it's like little slowly mind games that we've been taught, and um, and I feel that that's what distances from love, from like loving each other. So, like you said, by the time we hit our twenties, we don't really know. We've kind of lost who we are or where we're heading, and then before we know it, that's all that we're craving, aren't we? Really, it's the love. At a deeper level, yeah, at our surface, you know, 95% of our behaviors, decisions, thinking is all unconsciously driven. Mm. You know, much in the way we go to drive a car, we don't think about how to drive the car. Yeah. We don't think, oh, I got to move my foot from the brake to the gas to take off here, back to the gas, and I'll press it this much to go this fast. We don't think about those decisions because we've, we've thought about it so many times. We've trained our nervous system and our muscles, and it's all done automatically. So unconscious. So so five percent of our attention is on driving the car. The other ninety three percent is talking on the phone or thinking about the meeting we're gonna have. All of these patterns that are emotional are ninety five percent unconscious to us. Hmm. Things we're doing in relationship to try and get attention, to feel good about ourselves. It, it, we we have to take them out of their unconscious patterns. Yeah. I guess it's like unlearning to relearn, isn't it? A lot of it is unlearning. Mm. A lot of this is my experience unlearning. Mm. And and it becomes this scratch your head discovery. Like, I didn't even know I was doing that. <laughs> um, I didn't know I had that belief. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just reminded me some some things from the past where um I used to be called um, Gary um, an alpha female <laughs> mm. because I used to hide behind you know my thoughts. I, I didn't want to share anybody because I was afraid to get hurt again. So I had all these barriers. Um, and by the time somebody would meet me, they would be like, oh, she's a bit scary. <laughs> 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 because I'd built up that defense mechanism and that I didn't really, I didn't actually realize that I was doing it. I just thought it was just me. That's how I am. And kind of almost... Mm-hmm made myself believe that's who I am. I don't show love. You know, I don't give hugs. I only do handshakes and behave in a certain manner. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's kind of say the past, I'm studying this extensively, but you, you, you were educated Mm -hmm. to be successful, but in a, in a world that was pretty much created and established by men. Yeah. A professional world. And so to do that and to be respected and to be considered, you have to be a professional in a way that's men had previously established what is professional. <laughs> and that means you're less emotional. 
and this is this is across the board where women the the nature of women is to be much more expressive and be in touch with their emotions and more nurturing i mean by by our long cultural history men are more tribal they're the warriors they've got to protect they've got to go hunt and kill and get the game and the food you know so they're the hunters and and the the women are more the nurturers in the last generations a lot of that is of the value of women being in touch with emotions that that could really help men has been lost because women are conditioned to be a success in the workplace and they find it very unsatisfying because they're trying to live in a masculine centered society uh, and, and have these masculine traits where they have to repress a lot of what they're feeling and they end up being numb. And, and that's not to say, you know, the way men do it, which is to be numb is healthy at all. Men are just more conditioned to, to survive there and be okay with it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what happened actually, Gary, in Canada when I worked for CC National News. Um, I was like putting on that front, putting on like everything's fine, you know, like basically being neutral <laughs> so you couldn't figure out who I was um and then my left arm stopped working I collapsed and it was basically because I'm left-handed so my um female energy was basically crying out loud saying hey give me some self-love <laughs> exactly. for- self-nurturing yeah yeah I'd forgotten about me and loving myself I was just too busy consumed with like go 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 and doing things like you said in a structured kind of almost male oriented way um that I had no love for myself and it was like a it was a kind of almost like a a reminder of that I needed to come back and be present in myself and actually like give myself some time out and love myself easily lost in the busyness of trying to become a success mm. Absolutely. Um, so, Gary, can you tell us about the Pathway to Happiness? Pathway to Happiness is a website I set up for with with a whole audio program I call it the Self Mastery Course. Uh, aside from a lot of free material, which is podcasts and videos and articles, the the heart of the of it is is a Self Mastery Course, which is a step by step coaching program. For people to say, okay, what's going on internally? How can I change the emotions I'm generating? What beliefs, what thoughts are interfering? What is this inner critic? How can I step back from it, not believe it, be skeptical, and 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 not have to rule my life and my emotions? So it's a it's a process to inventory your belief system, the ones become aware of the ones you're unconscious of, and more importantly, change it. Mm. So that's set up in my online courses. I've also put in little other uh, courses, well, some of them not so little, uh, for process for releasing emotions from the past and the stories of our past or anxiety or uh, different things like that. But that's, I guess, the heart of how to look internally, how to become self-aware of this system that's unconscious that's often been running our behaviors, our negative thinking, our thoughts, our be- and, and to change it. Amazing. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That is, I can imagine, like, once we kind of realize like what we've been doing, it's kind of almost like you have an epiphany, don't you? <laughs> it's, it's, you have an epiphany, but more often people have a series of epiphanies. It's not just one. It's uh-huh. one's not going to do it in my experience. Mm. Um, people I've met who've, 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 they've had this, literally they've had this 
blast of light and had this enlightening perspective, they then had to go and say, okay, how do I go integrate in the world and have all these discoveries? Because a lot of their mind is still there. A lot of their belief system is still there, but they don't believe it as much. You know, it still has to be dismantled. And so that mm -hmm. takes a number of discoveries as well. So, so it's, it's not a, what do I need to know to change all this process? Or like as if you could have some bit of information and it will all change. No, it's a matter of, I need to go do a bunch of practices for this little change and then I'll know something different. Mm. Amazing. I like that. And so yeah. it's, it's at the pathway to happiness.com. Pathway to happiness.com. I also explain it in my book called MindWorks, and you can get it at your online retailers, ebook or print. Perfect. Um, Gary, we are coming towards the end of the show. It's gone so quick. Um, I've got two questions last week, um, to ask you. The first one is, what are your five top tips for someone who wants to transform their life around and they just don't know where to start? The first one's commitment. Hmm. It has to be a priority, and I'd say the priority, because if if being a success at your job and having the perfect relationship is more of a priority, your belief systems that drive you to do that will stay intact, even if they're overall making you unhappy. So, you know, if you put being happy third, <laughs> the ones that drive you to be successful that maybe ensure the inner critic still kicks you forward because we believe that's the voice that motivates us and allows us to get things done, even though it's beating us up emotionally. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if success and relationship are your one and two, then you're supporting your inner critic, which is driving you to those, and happiness is third, you're not going to get there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that commitment. And some people in the way we've learned to think about things through school and knowledge is, oh, but I don't know what to commit to and I need to know how to do it. Like, no, you don't need to know how to do it. Yeah. You need to know that you will do it. I will do it no matter what. Mm. It's not, commitment isn't, gosh, I really like to, that would be nice. That's not commitment. Commitment is I'm doing this no matter what. Yeah. And when you do that, it kind of, intense, your personal intent, this force of will goes out and says, okay. And the techniques often fall in line after that commitment. Mm. You'll figure out how. Decide you're going to do it and then figure out how. Yeah. Okay. I definitely will relate with that one, actually. I was just going to say, <laughs> anything I've ever put my mind to, if I just, you know, where I've been half-hearted, it's never really happened. And then when I've been like full-on force, um, even if I didn't have the resources, randomly people would email me or text me. <laughs> Things would just flow. Yes. Yes. All, all of us have had that kind of commitment. Everybody I talked to has had that kind of commitment somewhere in their life. They decided, I have to do this. I'm doing this no matter what. And it happened. Okay. Um, we don't even, we're like, we don't even give any brain power, or any energy towards a doubt or what if it does. It's like, no, I'm, I'm figuring this out. I'm getting it done. Yeah. You know, so, so you, any fears and doubts that would sabotage you don't even enter into it. Mm. Second one, focus on changing the habits. Focus on the smaller stuff and what's in front of you. 
Some people say, okay, I want to be really happy. Maybe they make the goal to be enlightened. If you make the goal to be enlightened, or whatever that goal is, that your, your mind does this interesting calculation, like I mentioned earlier, the inner critic is continually measuring you every day that says, are you there yet? No, you're failing. Are you there yet? No, you're failing. Oh, you didn't act very spiritual in that moment. Oh, you didn't act very <laughs> conscious or evolved in that moment. Oh, you had a negative thought. You're failing. Every little thing becomes a failure. Mm. So the goal has to be you can't let the set it up so the inner critic gets to use it as leverage to kick you. You have to set it up so my goal is to get better every day. My goal is to practice uh, this 20 minutes a day. My goal is to sit and meditate. I'm not going to make my goal to have a completely quiet mind for 20 minutes. My goal in the beginning is to just sit for 20 minutes. I'm going to watch the storm of negative thoughts. They're all going to be there because it usually gets louder when we sit and meditate. Uh, but if you make your goal to have a quiet mind, you're going to sit down and you're going to fail. Mm. But you say, I'm going to take the action every day. I'm going to do my journal writing 20 minutes every day. Okay, I didn't do it today. I'm going to do 40 minutes tomorrow. Get up a little earlier. I'm going to take the action every day. Progress will happen if you take the action every day. You take good actions. Then focus on what's in front of you, which is taking the action every day, every week, every month. And you'll get to whatever is the outcome you want. But if you focus on the goal, it'll always the mind will, particularly the inner critic, can also always, always create any kind of an interpretation or look at things that aren't working out and say you're failing. Mm -hmm. And that's really going to demotivate you and take you out of continuing three you got to kick the inner critic's ass <laughs> <laughs> it is it is the tyrant in our lives and it derails us and you have to really become this witness observer step outside of it and say hey, you don't get to be the boss of my life you're not very mm -hmm. good at it the, as much as the inner critic tries to act and talk like an authority it really doesn't know shit <laughs> Okay. If it was so smart, why didn't you tell me before I did that thing? No, you wait till after. Well, mm. after I already know it didn't work out. When I know it didn't work out, then you say, oh, I knew it wouldn't work out. It's like, yes, but you only say it after when I already know it. It's like, it's not at all helpful. So we wouldn't have it as a best friend. We wouldn't have it as our friend at all. If it lived in our house, we'd kick it out. <laughs> but it, but it, but we let it run around in our mind and assume that it's advising us in a helpful way, and it's not. I think you have to really change you know, your understanding of that inner critic. It may have been helpful. We put a lot of faith in it early in our life when it was kind of helpful mm. navigating the world. But as we've gone to adulthood, it's grown into kind of a really tyrant. It's like a, a tree in our backyard that we've never pruned, and now it's overgrowing and nothing else can grow. Okay. So you, you really have to, to, and, and this isn't one that you can do in a day. This takes chipping away at, but it can be done. I'd say four, get a mentor or a guide. Figuring this out on your own <laughs> is the, the unconscious beliefs, the 95% will steer you towards 
doing things that reinforce the 95%. Mm. The ideas of what you think will be good for you and it will change are often going to be steered to what's comfortable for you. And what's comfortable for you is the things that will keep the 95% of your behaviors and dynamics and beliefs intact. When you go look at your belief system, you inventory it in a thorough way, it's uncomfortable. It's a, it's a humbling realization after humbling realization, like, oh, wow, I do that. Oh, oh, gosh, I'm kind of a jerk at times. <laughs> oh, I have this fear. Our ego, our comfort level image of ourselves doesn't want to really acknowledge we have this fear, a self-judgment. Uh, so this is, this is a humbling process. And, but it's a cleaning up process. We get to feel better mm-hmm. as we get through it. So whether, whether it's an online course or it's a bunch of exercises in a book, Take somebody else's guidance and do it as opposed to what you think in your own mind is the best thing for you. Mm. And I'd say, I'd say the fifth thing is the, the transformation has to happen because of actions you take. It's like learning to swim. I can read a hundred books on swimming and I can be the most knowledgeable person about swimming, but I can't swim unless I go get in the water. <laughs> same with dancing, same with the martial arts, same with musical instrument, mm. same with public speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Same with your own personal transformation. These are all, you have to change it down to the level of your nervous system. So you feel differently doing those things. So you feel differently talking to another person. So you feel confident in front of a room or asking somebody out or just sitting by yourself in meditation. Your nervous system, your unconscious belief system has to change. It changes through action. Now, action might be sitting still for 20 minutes, but it's an action. It's not reading and filling your head with more information about how great you should be so the judge can then say, well, gosh, you're not that great yet. (laughs) Because all the information we acquire our internal inner critic and other kind of voices in our head generally use that to reaffirm the same things they've already been telling us. Mm. And if they're negative, all our information is used to tell us more negative things about ourselves. Mm. So real change is going to happen because you take an action. Action might be a writing, a journaling exercise. It might be uh, changing certain phrases you use. Mm. In, in, in your speaking. So that's why my course, my self-resting course, they're all actions you take. See, this is, and, and they're actions that go against the habits we've previously established. And this is the unlearning. We have to unlearn our old habits and build new ones that work for us, that work positively to reinforce enforce us, enforce positive behaviors that expose our fears to help us not believe our negative thoughts so that we can let them go and express love and create love instead of fear. I love those five top tips. So those were amazing. And I, yeah, absolutely relate with what you're saying. Um, yeah, it, it, definitely the last one, I, I was laughing because I hear a lot of people, they'll say, you know, meditation, I can't do it. I've read all these books. I'm like, but when did you actually sit there? <laughs> <laughs> 
You can listen to all the people in the world. You can watch loads of YouTube videos, but you have to sit in that moment. And it is going to be hard. Like I remember the time, like Gary, myself as well, like I used to look out the window or I'd listen to music, but eventually you'll find your rhythm and you'll find it, but you can't read everything. (laughs) It's got to be, like you said, it's got to be doing the doing process. It's a doing. Yeah. Yeah. And meditation is a great example because it, the, the status quo of the unconscious belief system is don't sit and meditate. Go get busy. Go become a success. <laughs> go get the gold stars. Yeah. So then you'll get emotionally happy, mm. right? Because somebody will notice and they'll praise you and then you'll release that self-love for yourself. Because <laughs> 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 somebody else is finally giving you approval saying you're okay. Yeah. Um, that's the unconscious belief system status quo. Mm. The very opposite of that is I'm going to sit and do the exact opposite of this, what the stories in my mind tell mm. me. And and the mind isn't so straightforward. It doesn't say, well, we really want you to go be a success and you aren't you know, being productive right now. No, it'll say you aren't very good at this. You should just give up. Your body's sore. It does it in this roundabout thoughts that are causing us to feel bad if we believe them. Yeah. And so now we feel if we're believing those thoughts, we feel bad sitting there. Oh, well, if I go make more money, I'll be happier. If I get another handbag, I'll be happier. (laughs) And so we're emotionally conditioned to go back to that old habit. Mm. But real meditation in the beginning is, okay, yeah, you're going to have those thoughts because now you're observing the stuff that's inside that you're uncomfortable with, but it's a kind of chance to inventory. It's kind of chance to see the belief system be exposed. But critical to this is, and if there's a six, you've got to get to a witness observer to watch your mind. You have to step outside the chatter and see it as if it was somebody else talking to you. Go, that's my mind. It's not me. And until that happens, you can do very little change. Because if you're in a storm of thoughts and you believe you're the one thinking it, you identify that that's true and I really am that way, you're just reinforcing all of its structure. So the critical element here is, is like before any of that changes, you, you have to move to a witness observer and step out of it. And I find that meditation is a hard way to go, but it's one of the ways to go. I, I break it down in my course and, and make it very practical and faster, actually. Yeah, I think. And as well, like a lot of people think, you know, they're, they're about to sit on this meditation pillow and everything's, you know, they're going to close their eyes. And when they wake up, everything's going to be amazing. <laughs> that is like not true. Like, I, oh God, Gary, I remember like I was crying. I was confused. My body was like moving, doing different movements, you know. And it, I think it took a good like year and a half for it to start being like calm. And I think because people don't have that, you know, initial experience, they think, oh, no, 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 I can't go back now. It's almost like they're afraid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the unconscious belief system is like pushing us away from this very exploration of it. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I haven't haven't been. I've done a lot of silent time, but friends who've done 10-day silent retreats, it's incredibly uncomfortable for, Mm. you know, like the first three days. A friend of mine is like, fourth day, he's like, oh, this is kind of painful. Yeah. Uh, You know, and... You know, later after all of it kind of moved out, then it was like, oh, you could really enjoy it. <laughs> but, you know, first part of first week, he's like this. But that's that's kind of purification process. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, your your system that's trying the unconscious system is trying to maintain the status quo mm. doesn't doesn't respond well to you know being challenged in this way of a different habit. Mm. Absolutely. And and the thing is, the thing is, it's it's not when you really get outside of the observer, you notice, gosh, it's my unconscious belief system that's really uncomfortable with this process. I'm actually fine. <laughs> yeah. You know. And when you can kind of get that kind of conscious perspective about your different patterns, your ego, and go, God, my ego is just thrashing about in this process. I'm fine. You can actually be entertaining. Like, wow, it's really afraid, or it's really protesting, or it's really criticizing me. It's like, but it's ridiculous. Mm. That's a kind of clarity and perspective that you have to work towards and build. Uh, but it doesn't come in day one in the in the in the beginning, it feels like you're outraged, you're afraid, you're uncomfortable, you're in pain, you know, because we're identified with so many of these thoughts that, that we feel like it's us instead of when we step outside consciously as a witness observer, we go, oh, it's ego, it's unconscious belief that's afraid, it's insecure, it's thrashing about, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And my last question is, what are you most grateful for? Breathing. Mm. Breathing. I know it's not going to go on forever, mm. uh, but when I breathe, I feel pleasure. Mm. When I breathe, I feel love. I put my attention to breath, and I feel this uh, kind of euphoric life moving through my body. Mm. You know, so the love comes with the breathing. Wow. I love that. <laughs> well, Gary, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the show, and just thank you for sharing your story. And it's just been a great conversation. I've loved it. <laughs> Thank you, Curtis. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking. It's been really enjoyable. Pleasure. Wow, what an amazing interview with Gary. Guys, do check out his website because some of the things that we talked about today were really inspiring and it actually made me realise how our mindset kind of works and how we actually stop ourselves from leading a happier life. Unfortunately, that's the end of the show. You can find me on Twitter at IamGurds, that's I-A-M-G-U-R-D-S. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Get Inspired with Gerds, where I bring you lots of inspirational and motivational quotes and tips about life. And just before I leave, I want to leave you with this quote. Happiness is an inside job. Don't assign anyone else that much power over your life. That's a quote by Mandy Hale. Take care and I'll see you next week. Bye.